0: Okay, we'd like to welcome you back to our current event and weekly Bible study for November 22nd, 2009. This is part two of our current event and weekly Bible study for this week. And we're going to continue where we left off. This next article is entitled Bird Mishap is the latest in a series of unfortunate events that have befallen the world's largest particle accelerator, which is CERN. The mission of the $10 billion machine is to help explore important questions about the universe. This will involve circulating a super-energized proton beam around a 17-mile tunnel that scientists hope will also unveil the never-before-seen Higgs boson, a.k.a. the God particle. Unfortunately, turning the collider on has turned out to be just as elusive as the mysteries it's supposed to solve. Under repair for a year, due to an electrical failure, headlines were made again last week after a bird somehow dropped a piece of bread into the machine, causing the entire unit to shut down. This thing's 17 miles long, and a bird drops a piece of bread into it? And it caused the whole thing to shut down? The article goes on to say how this managed to happen is beyond me. Alarmists say that this is further proof that the LHC, Large Hadron Collider, will never function properly because it is under the influence from the future. Like there's time travelers or something coming back and, and, and making sure it doesn't work. Well, I'll give you my theory on that in a second. Then he goes on to say, while it's fun to believe that we could expect a Terminator to be, intervene next. The Terminator movie where Arnold Schwarzenegger comes back from the future. Anyway, researchers say that the past year's bad luck can be largely attributed to the insanely complex machinery. Well... I believe it's been due, yes, to the Lord Jesus Christ's intervention. I'll give him the total credit, praise, and glory for that. But I also believe his hand was most likely moved through the prayers of the saints. And, again, this is something that we need to be in prayer about as well, because this thing is pure evil, and what they're trying to do is create dimensional doorways and pathways of just very, very malevolent, most likely fallen angelic and or demonic entities into our uh, plane of existence, and again, this may have something to do with now. He who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. When he's taken out of the way, it's like the doorways are going to be um, for a lot of these fallen angelic and/or demonic entities is, is going to uh, be open. Now, again, we have the bottomless pit in, in Revelation to look at, where that was opened. Okay, so there are biblical examples of this that we can look at in Revelation as well. Uh, but, you know, the they've got, if you go up to their website, it's easy to find, just key in CERN and uh, LHC, uh, you can go up there and they have Twitter updates right on the site, and you can look at where they're at, and right now... They've got this bird thing figured out and now it's up and running and they're, and they're doing all these experiments and they're very, very happy with where they're at right this second. So this is something that we should be in prayer about and, uh, uh, you know, may the Lord's will be done obviously, but this thing's pure evil. Next article is entitled Intelligent Design and the Raelian Movement Lie. Now, I've done a whole teaching on this. I've done two teachings, one on intelligent design and one on the ancient astronaut theory, the Raelian movement, which I post the teachings at the bottom of this article uh, that will be in the PDF. Uh, I, what I do with the newsletters is I send them out via email to my email list. Okay. Now, people have been emailing me saying, haven't got anything from you in weeks, this and that. I believe my emails are being heavily censored. Uh, I can I can send out my emails and somebody will get them for two weeks and then they don't get them for two weeks. My mom is is uh, I send her the health ones and I'll send them to her and she doesn't get them. And you know we're on the same uh, we're we're basically uh, through the same provider and everything. So I've had a lot of problems with that lately. So the best and that's something I'd ask you to pray about as well. Um, and I am trying to get this more and more figured out. But um, so far, the people that I've talked to, you know, they're acting as though, uh, you know, there's no problem. And there's a huge problem because I've got a lot of people on my email list now and they're not getting the the emails anymore. So, um, what I've been trying to do is I'm making sure that I convert these into a PDF format and I put them up and connect them with the teaching that I do. So you can always go up to sermonaudio.com and eventually contendingfortruth.com and access. Those PDF files. So, anyway, I just wanted to throw that in there. Um, this starts out by saying, Human scientists from another planet created all life on Earth using DNA. Traces of this epic... Now, this is f- straight from the Raelian website. And you may say, oh, the Raylians, there's some type of fringe cult thing. They have, there's no validity. The Raelian movement is really the kind of like a really good synopsis and, and the essence of the coming one-world religion. And um, you'll kind of understand that as as we quote from this article here, right off their own website. Traces of this epic masterpiece of creation can be found in all religious writings and traditions. It is to them that Moses, Jesus, Buddha, and Muhammad referred. It is now time to welcome them. So... Evidently, they're saying Moses, Jesus, Buddha, and Muhammad all referred to these ancient astronauts that came long, long ago and seeded our planet with humanity. He goes on to say, what happened? On December 13, 1973, French journalist Raël was contacted by a visitor from another planet and asked to establish an embassy to to welcome these people back to Earth. Well, what are we getting now with the whole V-series? And the next one's coming up this Tuesday, and this is the last episode. There's only four episodes. They they, they scramble like mad to get this V series moved up from, like, next year to this year. And they're only having four episodes. And guess what the next episode is about? I mean, this is a spoiler alert, but it's, it's from what I read, it's how they've taken the uh, flu shots, the um, V, and are manipulating them in order to be some type of uh, Control slash genocidal mechanism for humanity. So <laughs> that would pretty much tie in with all the health alerts I've been doing. But anyway, let's go further. The extraterrestrial human being that was visited visited this rail guy on in December of 1973 uh, was a little over four feet tall, had long dark hair, almond shaped eyes, olive skin, and exuded harmony and humor. Isn't that nice? rail recently described him by saying quite simply quote if he were to walk down a street in Japan he would not even be noticed well hold on, the guy's a little over four feet tall no, that's I think you're gonna notice him almond shaped eyes what like the almond shaped alien eyes mean, you know I think he's out of his mind but oh, of course the guy's demon possessed he goes on to say in other words they look like us and we look like them in fact we were created in their image as explained in the Bible. Isn't it funny how these cults always want to key in on the Bible and cast doubt on the Word of God? The same thing that Satan did in the Garden of Eden to Eve when he said, Yea, hath God said. First, the first thing that caused a human being to sin on the face of the planet was when Satan tempted Eve and he said, Yea, hath God said. He questioned God's Word. That's how he did it. And he's no different today. So, this guy's saying that we were created in the image of the aliens. Okay, He told Rail that, that, this alien, said that we were the ones who designed designed all life on Earth. You mistook us for gods. We were at the origin of your main religions. Now that you are mature enough to understand this, we would like to enter into official contact with you through an embassy. End of quote. So, this is what he's saying, Mr. Little... Uh, alien guy told him here. The messages dictated to Rail explain that life on Earth is not the result of random evolution, nor the work of a supernatural God. It is a deliberate creation using DNA. Now, I have talked more and more and more. I, I know I, so I've talked more and more about the United Nations. I've talked more and more and more about the DNA lately as well. DNA seems to be so intriguingly related with the subjects that keep coming up, whether it's transhumanism, whether it's foreign DNA and the flu shots, whether it's the fact that we look back at Genesis 6 and the, and the uh, sons of God, the, the fallen angels that come down and procreated with women. What were they trying to do? They were cor- trying to corrupt the seed of mankind. They were trying to cor- corrupt our DNA, which was our biological blueprint. Okay, so this is, they again, they're not changing their tactics. But, they're saying we were like a little science project and they manipulated us and created us in their image using DNA. goes on to say, by a scientifically advanced people who made human beings literally, quote, in their image. And, you know, as the Bible says, let let us make man in our image. Well, this is what they're in reference to. Because they're always wanting to parallel the Bible if they can. What one can call scientific creationism, this is what they call it, which is where we get the concept of what they call intelligent design. People think intelligent design is Christian. It's not. It's totally, it's the ancient astronaut theory, if you go to its very uh, base foundation. And I, I proved that in the study I did, and I provide those links after this little thing that we're going to read here. Um, let's see here. References to these scientists and their work, as well as to their symbol of infinity can be found in in the ancient texts of many cultures. For example, in Genesis, the biblical account of creation, the word Elohim. Oh, good, here we go questioning the word of God. The word Elohim in the biblical account of uh, Genesis has been mistranslated as the singular word God. And again, they're really keen on the King James Bible, okay, even though they don't come right out and say it. They're saying the word Elohim has been mistranslated as the singular word God. But it is actually a plural word, which means, quote, those who came from the sky. Now, I I did, um, I, I went into the concordance for Elohim, and not one of the definitions matched that. This is a total lie. The KJV translates this word, God, in the authorized version, it translated translated the word God, uppercase G, 2,346 times. Now, this this is from me. This is not from the article. 2,346 times. It translates it, um, Judge, five times. It translates it, God, all capital letters, one time. Okay, and there's other some other translations, but none of them are from those that came from the sky. But the vast majority being 2,346 times. Nothing's even close to that. It means God, uppercase G. Okay? And then it goes on to say, uh, and the singular of this word Elohim is Eloha, which they say means Allah. (laughs) Like Allah, the moon god of Islam? Yeah, that's what they say it means, which is totally bogus. Again, um, this word is translated God, Eloha. Oh, um, 52 times in the authorized King James Version. It's God, uppercase G. But never Allah, the moon god. Okay? So again, they're just making stuff up here. This is just Satan trying to question the word of God, and he's doing it through this this real death cult. So, going further, it says, indigenous cultures all over the world remember these, quote, gods who came from the sky. And then I interject, what, like fallen angels? Because that's, you know, that's what happened. These gods who came from the sky, including natives of Africa, America, Asia, Australia, and Europe. I mean, you know, this is how the Mayans and the Indians and a lot of the, these um, cultures in, in Africa and, and all over the world, this is how they developed their deity system. Through fallen angels that came down and, and um, procreated with women and these types of things. This is where we get the legends of like the Greek titans and those types of things. So it's, it's just all different flavors of really the same deception. Leaving, and then it goes on to say, Leaving our humanity to progress by itself, the Elohim nevertheless maintained contact with us via prophets. So this is how they communicated with us, including Buddha, Moses, Muhammad, etc. And, and I know they would include Jesus because they said that before. Now, what they're saying and what Maitreya said and what Benjamin Krem says is that we've just totally misinterpreted everything. These prophecies or these teachings and their writings, like the writings of Jesus, have all been corrupted. Again, what are they doing? Questioning, casting doubt on the word of God. That's how they have to operate. Um, so, these, these Elohim, these aliens... Um, Sent us these prophets, Buddha, Moses, Muhammad, all specially chosen and educated by them. The role of the prophets was to progressively educate humanity through the messages they taught, each adapted to the culture and the level of understanding at the time. They were also to leave traces of the Elohim so that we would be able to recognize them as our creators. Recognize them as our creators. Hmm. You mean like... For instance, the long-haired Ascended Master Catholic paintings of the false Jesus that's coming, named Sananda Emmanuel, or Master Jesus. This is the one that's coming with the Imam Mahdi. This is the one Maitreya says is going to come with him. When he shows up, and then he's going to set him up as the head of the the Roman Catholic Church. That's what they say. I'm I'm not telling you what I'm making up. That is exactly what Maitreya says is going to happen. He says he's in Rome right now, waiting to essentially take over take over, I guess, where the Pope leaves off. I don't know if they'll, they'll call him the Pope or what, but he would be the perfect one from this standpoint to be the false prophet because he would be the head of the, uh, really be responsible for amalgamating all of the religious systems under in the world underneath the banner uh, in Rome and, and underneath the banner of the Catholic Church. They're all going to get on the same page. It has to happen from a biblical standpoint. So you know this would make perfect sense. Now, all of these pictures that we see of supposedly Jesus, this long-haired, our Catholic long-haired Catholic renditions. I mean, there's no basis in fact in in what um, in what uh, regarding what Jesus actually looked like. Okay. There's none. There is absolutely no basis of fact. This has just been a brainwashing that has been going on for literally hundreds of years that has infiltrated into the Christian churches. And many people have pictures of Jesus and this hanging up. They have their angels with wings in there and all this other stuff that they shouldn't be having because these are cursed objects that they're bringing into their house. Remember, the Godhead, the Bible is very clear, is not like that of graven art or of gold or of silver or of precious stones. We can't do, we're not supposed to do that because Jesus knew if we did that, we would have a tendency to uh, have pictures and erect altars and and have all of this symbology that we would ultimately end up worshipping. Okay, which would ultimately turn into like a form of idolatry. Okay, we want to stay away from that. Now, I'm going to prove my point on this thing about uh, this Jesus in a second here. Uh, he says we will recognize them as our creators and fellow human beings when we have advanced scientifically enough to understand them. Jesus, whose father was an Eloha, which means Allah, according to this guy, was given the task of spreading these messages throughout the world in preparation for this crucial time in which we are now privileged to live. The predicted age of Revelation. So he always wants to try to tie it back to the Bible. Well, let's see. Isaiah 53.1 We're going we're to talk about this thing with Jesus having long hair and also this really handsome Jesus that's depicted in the Catholic Church. This really, you know, handsome looking, long haired Jesus. Now, what he calls himself is Sananda Emmanuel, this ascended master that we have these pictures of, or Master Jesus. That's the two names. I, I know there's probably some other variations there. Isaiah 53 1. Who hath believed our report and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of a dry ground. Now, this is in reference to Jesus Christ, and we're going to prove that right now. Okay, This is verse 2 in the middle. He hath no form nor comeliness, and we shall see him. There is no beauty that we should desire him. In other words, Jesus Christ, when he walked the earth, wasn't this, this really handsome guy. Says he has no former comeliness, and that when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. Okay, so he wasn't like you know a combination of Brad Pitt and Tom Cruise walking around. It wasn't like that at all. It was like, in fact, it was exactly the opposite. Isaiah, and The reason I'm saying this is not because I'm wanting to like strain in a gnat and swallow a camel. It's because when this happens, when this deception starts to go down, with the whole alien thing, with the whole Maitreya thing, with most likely World War III and possibly swine flu being wrapped up in it, some false flag nuclear event, who knows how it's all going to go down. But most likely it's all going to start to occur at the same time. This whole thing with Benjamin Cream talking about these... These spacecraft that are in the world right now that people are seeing all over the place, the star sign which heralds in the, the you know, Maitreya. When he comes back and he's got a dude that's with him that looks exactly like all those Jesus paintings, do you know just from that standpoint alone how many pseudo Christians are going to drop their Bible? And they're going to say, well, I don't care what kind of doctrine he preaches. That's Jesus. Because he looks like him. When they don't even know what he looks like. And they're going to base their whole faith. They're going to end up going to hell. Just on that one standpoint alone. Because they bought into that. Now I understand. Heaven and hell. Salvation issue. It's a separate issue. But I'm saying God said he was going to be the one that was going to send the strong delusion. That they will believe a lie that they might all be damned who receive not the love of the truth. When this Jesus comes with another gospel, and they embrace it just because of all the lying signs and wonders, and just because he looks like Jesus, that's part of the strong delusion. So, let's go on with this verse. He has no form or comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire. Well, but somebody could say, well, we don't even know that they are talking about Jesus. Oh, yes, we do. Let's keep reading. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. I mean, everybody essentially abandoned him at the cross. I mean, not everybody, but I mean, his most of the vast majority of his disciples, okay, did. Surely he hath borne our griefs, and, and then a lot of his other followers did the same. I mean, they didn't. They didn't. You know, he was at the, at the end of his life when he was crucified you know, the vast majority of people that had followed him up until that point turned their back on him. So this is fulfillment of this verse. Then going further, Isaiah 53, 4, Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did not esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. So he he carried our sin, he paid our sin debt. And then, Next verse. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. Well, praise the Lord Jesus Christ. But that is what happened on the cross. When he paid our sin debt. Okay, by the shedding of his precious blood. By the finished work of the cross. These are all fulfilled within this these verses. And then the next verse. All like we... All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. The perfect lamb, as the Bible says, that was slain before the foundation of the earth. Only a perfect human... uh, Only Jesus Christ. Okay? Which condescended and became like one of us. Okay? Perfectly sinless could pay our sin debt once and for all. The blood of bulls and goats was no more required Okay, after the sacrifice was made to pay our sin debt so that we could be offered the free gift of salvation. For you are saved by grace through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us. And through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, you know, we we obtain this. So, and again, I've done a whole teaching on salvation that you can key in on the search page on my, uh, and it's it's at the top of every one of my uh, newsletters that I put out as well. Okay, so we know for a fact that there was no there was no form nor comeliness, and there was no beauty that we should desire him when he walked here. I really believe the Lord Jesus Christ let that verse. Be in the Bible, Isaiah fifty three, two, and then the subsequent verses that confirm this was Jesus Christ. Because he knew this day was going to come when this false Jesus shows up, so that his remnant, his true flock, will not be deceived by this, and that we can go and help others understand this concept as well. Because it's just not about us not it's just not about us being not deceived, it's about us helping others. Jesus says, Let them that is greatest among you, let him be your servant. So this is what we should strive to be one toward another, to be each other's servant. And not to be, you know, many that will be first will be last, and many that will be last will be first. We shouldn't just strive to, you know, be first in line and in the head of you know, we, we need to we need to humble ourselves uh in the sight of God, and then due time he will lift you up. But you you want to come to the Lord as a little child. And, and this is very, very clear. So, we know this to be a fact. Now, the next verse we look at is 1 Corinthians eleven fourteen, where it says, Doth not nature itself teach you? In other words, isn't it totally obvious that if a man have long hair, it is a shame unto him? It is a shame unto him. Well, what about Samson? It was a Nazarite vow he was under. Long hair was a sign of shame. I understand, yes, When they cut his hair off, he lost his strength. Okay, he was under that vow; he wasn't supposed to do it, so he lost his strength. Okay, you can't use an Old Testament Levitical vow in order to justify having long hair. I was just in a debate this week with somebody about this, and you know, evidently they have long hair, and you know, and I'm I'm not, I'm not turning this into a heaven and hell issue here. Okay, I'm just saying that the Bible's very clear on this, and then it talks about then in the next verse where. You know, long hair in a woman is for her glory, okay? And this has to do with um, this whole portion of scripture in 1 Corinthians eleven fourteen 14, um, has to do with um, this subject of hair and then also um, uh, head coverings while we pray, these types of things. So you can look into that further. Um, I don't believe if you're a man, you should ever pray with your head covered, meaning having a hat on. Okay, I think that's very clear, the Bible's very clear on that as well. Okay, um, And this is why you'll always see, I've seen um, movie clips and things of this nature where you'll see old-time you know, preachers and they go to pray before you know, grace and they always make sure they take their hat off. When you always see that, done. That's actually biblical. Um, that's biblical for men to remove any headwear prior to praying. I think it's very important because that's, that's something that could hinder your prayers and you may not even know about it. So, go to 1 Corinthians 11, and, and uh, you can read more about that there. I don't want to turn this into a teaching on that, we just don't have time. So anyway, hopefully this these two portions of scripture that I just read totally disprove that the, that the um, pictures, the modern day renditions that we got through the Catholic Church of this coming false Master Jesus, this ascended Master, that these are false, And that we're not destroyed for lack of knowledge regarding that. Because I'm telling you, that by itself is going to be a huge way that many people get deceived. They're not going to be able to get beyond what their eyes are seeing. They're going to be saying, wow, this really is. Well, Satan comes with all lying signs and wonders. You know, it's not going to be a big deal for him to try to pull that one off. Okay, let's go to the next article. This is on the obelisk in the church steeple. That is a pagan Masonic symbol. This is by Steve Delaney, but there's many quotes in here not from him that also confirm this information. He says, I have kept abreast of the ongoing saga pertaining to the church steeple mentioned in your website. This was a comment he made. I would like to advise on a few facts which may or may not clarify your thinking. My qualification of comment is that I am a former generational Freemason who served at the altars of both the Scottish and the York Rites, who is now a bona fide Christian. I am fully qualified and teach on signs, symbols, and tokens, together with allegories which pertain to major cults and, of course, Freemasonry. Uh, whether one refers to the Tower in question As an obelisk or not, it is not of significant value, for it is a raised stone and one which is contrary to the word of God, according to Leviticus 26.1. And again, remember, the Godhead is not like that of graven art, gold, silver, precious... Okay, so it's not something where we want to erect all of these symbolic religious symbols. I don't see any place in the New Testament telling us to do this. And I see any place where the apostles and the disciples were going around erecting big crosses everywhere, having all of these religious symbolic don't, I don't see it anywhere. They were preaching the Word of God, you know, and this types of things. They, they weren't um, concerning themselves with this. But nowadays, it's so incredibly prevalent. Now, I've done a whole teaching on the cross, the cross of Christ versus... It's called the cross of Christ versus the accursed tree, Okay, because there's a very important distinction there, and this has a lot to do with Catholicism, where we got our major influences from originally, just like these uh, pictures of um, the uh, long-haired, good-looking Jesus that we see. A lot of this came from the Catholic Church. So, let's go further here. He goes on to say, however, having had the site of the building in question as presented in newspapers, I will confirm without equivocation that the offending tower, meaning this church steeple, is in fact an obelisk in the full Masonic sense of the word. The entire issue is one of secrecy. Well, see, that's the whole thing about the Masons. It's a secret society, and only the members of know anything what's going on, and only the upper-level members, like the 30th, the 31st, the 32nd, and the 33rd degree, many times truly know what's going on, and sometimes they don't even really know. Going on further, it says, having been taught the significance... Remember, this is a generational Freemason here. Having been taught the significance of obelisks, I concur with the late Plato of Freemasonry. They, he referred to himself as the Plato of Freemasonry, Albert Pike. Okay, and Albert Pike was the highest rank... or. Um, was a uh, high-ranking Confederate war general during World War II. He has, uh, he's the only Confederate war general that has a statue of himself within the city limits of Washington, D.C. He was the one that started the Ku Klux Klan. He was the one that was single-handedly creating the uh, emergence and the revival of the Freemasonic movement of the 1800s. He wrote Morals and Dogma, which is like the um, modern-day Bible of the Freemasons, a very incredibly occulted book. He was, a, he was a Luciferian, essentially. This man says, I concur with Albert Pike with his quotation, which I add in the addendum of the Masonic explanation and the interpretation of the obelisk. Quote, hence, the significance of the phallus or its inoffensive substitute, the obelisk. When you see an obelisk, whether it's the Washington Monument or that one that's in the uh, Rome, okay, or if you see an obelisk in Egypt, or wherever you see one, understand that is symbolic of the male phallus. Now, I don't want to get into any gore details, okay? I'm going to try to keep this as clean as I possibly can. But, I think this is important, because you got churches all over the place that have these things erected everywhere, and I mean my word. Um, it's like, how much of a curse could that be bringing on your church? And you're not even aware of it. Well, the Bible says in Hosea 4.6, we're destroyed for lack of knowledge. So am I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? Wouldn't it be better to err on the side of safety? And that verse I just said was was Galatians 4.16. I mean, wouldn't it be better to err on the side of safety? There's no biblical precedent for putting up church steeples and, and a lot of other things that go on in the church as well. But it's because of the tradition of men, they've made the word of God of none effect, as Jesus said. It's the tradition. It's how I learned. It's how it was taught. It doesn't mean it's right. We just, I don't think any of us have an idea of of, of the potential curses we may be bringing on ourselves just through bringing cursed objects into your house, in in places that you go, or, or things that you do, you know. And that's why I'm trying to hear to, to help us with this. Not to say I got everything figured out, but, you know, Lord, show me some things. Let's go further. Um, He says the significance of the phallus, or or its inoffensive substitute, the obelisk, rising as an emblem of the resurrection by the tomb of the buried deity. That that was a direct quote from Albert Pike, Morals and Dogma, page 393. Morals and Dogma, like the Freemasonic Bible, essentially. Morals and Dogma, the esoteric version, says that... um, he, he says to the uh, Sovereign Grand Inspector Generals of the 30th, 31st, 32nd, and 33rd, we tell the crowd, and I'm paraphrasing here, we tell the crowd, meaning those people outside the Freemasonic religion, that we worship the God, the one the world adores, essentially the God of the Bible. But then he says to you, Sovereign Grand Inspector Generals of the 30th, 31st, 32nd, and 33rd degree, I say, we worship Lucifer. And that if Lucifer were not God, why would Jesus calcumulate him? He uses the word calcumulate, which means to, like, denigrate him. Like, that makes it valid. Well, this is the type of person Albert Pike with. I mean, you see a picture of this guy? Oh, my, he, he looks more evil than Aleister Crowley. I mean, this guy, he is the full embodiment of evil. Whew, I mean, creepy, creepy dude. Anyway... Going back to this man's article, he says, pertaining to the issues of the obelisk, we are looking at its esoteric meaning and its, or its symbolic indication. Remember, whenever you see a symbol in society, it may have some nice flowery surface meaning, but what is the esoteric meaning? Esoteric meaning like hidden Gnostic knowledge. The occult meaning. Okay, The entire issue is one of secrecy and secrecy itself. And the allegory simply means something hidden behind a symbol. The obelisk, without a doubt, in every single cult is the replacement or symbolic facto of the male phallus which, according to legend, impregnates continuously its female counterpart. That's what it represents. Okay, now he's going to give you some quotes here. Uh, The church steeple is a copy of the Egyptian obelisk. The only difference is the crucifix at the top. And and I don't know if all of them have I think most of them do. We are... And again, a crucifix, which is one where we actually have the representation of the body of Jesus, which is really a Catholic thing, which is doubly blasphemous. Because Jesus isn't on the cross anymore. He's off the cross. He already paid our sin debt. He said it is finished. Uh, it's, It's so blasphemous to represent him. But see, by the Catholics, by them doing that, what it does is it empowers them by saying, oh, look, there's that weak... Little Jesus, we got to keep re-crucifying him through our daily, through our weekly uh, communion, taking in the communion host and the whole thing that they do. And again, I've done whole studies on that, but um, just a very blasphemous symbol. He goes on to say, we are familiar with the Egyptian obelisk, such as Cleopatra's Needle. This has a lot in common with the maypole. The maypole was the symbol for the May King's phallus. Okay. And it is. And this is, what is the maple? Where do we see this? Well, this is a symbol of fertility. On the eve of Beltane. Now remember, this is how witches and warlocks and pagans and occultists celebrate their respective holy days. This is where we get the word holiday from. Almost all of our holidays are just pagan knockoffs with some type of Christian veneer put on them, and this was started again by the Catholic Church hundreds and hundreds of years ago. I've done whole teachings on Ishtar, meaning Ishtar, or Christmas, which I call Xmas. I think it's more appropriate. You can go up on the keyword search, I mean, none of us would argue about Halloween, right? Well, the other ones are just, the other ones are worse, as far as I'm concerned. Because they're just as pagan, and yet we put a Christian veneer on them. And a lot of churches try to put a Christian veneer on uh, Halloween, but that's, a, again, I've got into that on the studies I've done. Um, so, this maypole is a symbol of fertility on the eve of Beltane, which would, on the eve of Beltane, April 30th, Beltane is May 1st. It's a very high satanic holiday. Celebrants danced around a maypole. The original Egyptian obelisks represented the phallus of the earth god Geb. As he lay on the ground, trying to reach up to unite himself with the goddess, neath or knit in the overarching sky. And I mean, I know that's that's pretty sickening, okay? But that's what it's representative of, okay? And when when the kids have the the, the ribbons and they intertwine it around the maypole, that is symbolic of the union of the male and the female, okay? Fornication, essentially. That's what it's celebrating. Unbeknownst to most Christians, their church symbol is a symbolic phallus with a cross on top. I mean, I don't think God's real happy with that. The use of bell towers and campanils in the construction of cathedrals of medieval Christianity, also more familiar to the conventionalized church steeple, may be traced back to the fire obelisks of Egypt, which were placed in front of the temples to the superior deities representing the generative force It's all about the fertility rites and gods representing the generative force or the rays of the sun, the male principle. Now, this quote is from the book The Egyptian Connection. Um, Well, actually, Albert Mackey, the symbol of Freemasonry, page 112. He says, Thallus worship worship is said to have originated in Egypt, where, after the murders of Osiris by Typhon, which is symbolically to be explained as the destruction of or deprivation, of the sun's light by night, Isis, his wife, as the symbol of nature in search of his mutilated body, is said to have found all parts except his phallus. The phallus, therefore, as the symbol of the male generative principle, was very universally venerated among ancients. And that is a religious rite as well. Now, this this article is just rehashed in Nimrod, Semiramis, and Tammuz as well. Okay, we've got all of these fertility cults, all of these uh, cults that were in different parts of the world at different times, and they just put their own little different spin on it. So whether it's Osiris, Isis, and Horus you're talking about, or whether it's Nimrod, Semiramis, or Tammuz, whatever. It's just the same thing repackaged. Same story, different day. So, the Washington Monument is a Masonic phallus symbol. Can you guess what the origin of the church steeple is? Babylonianism and Baal worship. The same phallic image has been passed down through the history to us today. It is name, its name is the obelisk, the sacred phallic symbol of Osiris Nimrod. It is now standing in St. Peter's Square at the Vatican. They've got the second largest one with a in, in St. Peter's Vatican with a cross erected on top of its pyramid and it's also standing 550 feet high in Washington, D.C., uh, as the Washington Monument. Now, from what I've read, it's 555 feet above ground, but it also goes down another 111 feet underground because, obviously, if you have something that high, you just can't have it just sitting on the ground. you got to have it really anchored deep. Well, if it goes down another 111 feet, that makes it 666 feet high from its foundation underground. Hmm. Wow. And did you ever see that thing at night? It's got those two little red eyes. I mean it looks pure evil. But, you know, it's uh, the the whole Washington architecture and landscape. If you get riddles in stone by cutting edge, it'll walk you through it. I mean it's it's a brilliant expose and you know, on this. And it's come out now. There's no way they can deny it anymore. Washington, DC is totally laid out in a very satanic, occultic um, pattern in, in the architecture, um, and they do it for, for you know, reasons in order to it's part of their religion, in order to gain more power, in order to evoke more witchcraft, and this is the place that sets our laws and rules and, in you know, where our government essentially sits, and no wonder things are so wicked and he goes on to say that this, all of this is the origin of the church steeple, so Again, if I was you, I'd err on the side of safety on that one. Now, the last article here is entitled, Why I Murdered 13 American Soldiers at Fort Hood. Nadal Hassan Explains It All to You. Okay, this is the recent murder that took place. Um, This is by Barry Rubin, November 14, 2009. If you find this useful and interesting, please read and subscribe to Barry Rubin's blog. I should have edited that out. But anyway... um, how do we know that the attack on Fort Hood was an act of Islamic terrorism? Simple. Major Nadal Hassan told us so. You've seen reports of a long list of things he did and said along these lines. But what's most amazing about all this is Hassan is, first, is the first terrorist in history to give an academic lecture explaining why he was about to attack. Yet, that still isn't enough for too many people. For too many That isn't enough for many people, I should say. Including the President of the United States to understand that the murderous assault at Fort Hood was actually a jihad attack. Now I understand, there's people up there that are saying that he was a patsy. And I think Alex Jones makes a lot of good points that our government was the one that started al-Qaeda and that we actually worked with Osama bin Laden. And I I believe that he's shown, not just him, but a lot of other people have shown the interplay there, the ties there, And you'd say, well, why would our government want to do that? Because they want to bring order out of chaos. They create the problem, they fund the problem, and then they give us their version of the solution, which has always taken away more of our rights. I mean, let's face it, if we got hit with a false flag nuclear event, or let's just look at 9-11 alone, what has been the result of that? The massive taking away of rights of Americans. Initially through the Patriot Acts, and then Project Bioshield, and a lot of other things that they've done. Okay? So, it's all by design. I'm not saying that this man... So, Webster Tarbley was interviewed on Alex Jones. He's saying that Nadal Hassan is is a patsy, okay? And that very well may be true. But, I'm just going to stick with this particular article on talking about the tenets of Islam. Because he does it for me. This confirms everything that I have ever said about the Islamic religion, okay? Now, I mean, not everything, but it confirms the main points, that it is part of their religion to kill infidels, which are unbelievers in Islam. They are commanded to do that. If they are going to be a good Muslim and faithful to Allah, they should all be strapping on nail bombs and running into cafes and blowing everybody up. Then are Muslims, because that is what they're told to do under jihad, which is holy war. They're told to do it in the book of Quran. Now they'll say, Well, yeah, but there's a lot of good Muslims out there. They're, you know what? They're not follow, they're like a lukewarm Christian that's not following the Bible. That's all they are. You know, you can't deny what's in their book. I mean I'm gonna I'm gonna read you some of the quotes. I believe you can actually go up and watch this lecture. I didn't do it, but it's it's he, he gave this lecture, this major. The guy that went you know, crazy. Actually, he wasn't going crazy. He was pre-programmed to do this. Uh, Hassan is the first terrorist in history to give an academic lecture explaining why he was about to attack. It was reported that the audience was shocked and frightened by his lecture. He was supposed to speak on some medical topic, yet instead, because he was like in, I think, uh, psychology, but instead he talked about, quote, the Quranic worldview meaning the Quran, the Quranic worldview as it relates to Muslims in the U.S. military. I think it's a very valid thing he brings up. All you have to do is look at the 50 PowerPoint presentation slides, and they tell you everything you need to know. Now, why wasn't this devil kicked out as soon as he gave this? He's totally telegraphing what he feels that he has to do and what all islamic people in the military should be doing and yet we let them stay in oh we wouldn't we want, to, want to be politically correct it's okay for them to kill us but we dare not speak a thing about the muslims they're a religion of peace after all right i mean you know just want let, let them have their little rallies and they bring out their wonderful signs like behead all those that say anything against allah and kill them kill the infidels and i mean i've got the pictures and just go up to the um, keyword search box on my homepage on sermonaudio, uh, dot com forward slash Dr. Scott Johnson and just key in the um, word Muslim or Islam or part of the word and you'll find it. And just go into the PDF files that I've got associated with them. I mean, it'll, it'll load your boat. It'll give you pretty much everything you need there. So, it is, uh, the, this guy who's writing this article says, that this Presentation he gives is quite a good talk. He's logical, presents his evidence. This is clearly not the work of a madman or a fool, though there's still a note of ambiguity in him. He's still working it out, what to do in his own mind, and trying to figure out if he has a way out, other than the effect of deserting the U.S. Army and becoming a jihad warrior. I mean, evidently he was torn at some point. Ultimately, he concluded that he could not be a proper Muslim without killing American soldiers. According to the Quran, he's right. Obviously, other Muslims could reach different conclusions, but Hassan strongly grounds himself in the Islamic texts. Well, so what I saw. okay, us let's let's prove this. And I'm just, I could give you, I could probably sit here and quote to you for an hour straight out of the Quran all the horrific verses that are in it. But let's just do a a few, for argument's sake. The Islamic Bible, Quran, commands Muslims to kill, quote, infidels. In Islam, the Arabic word kafar refers to non-Muslims, often in a derogatory sense, and is usually translated into the English word as infidel or unbeliever. Okay, so this word kafar, which is where they translate the word infidels, it means an infidel or an unbeliever. Let's look at some quotes from the Quran. Surah 3360. Allah has cursed the unbelievers and proposed for them a blazing hell. Okay, so this moon god has proposed for us a blazing hell. (laughs) Right. Um, But he's cursed the unbelievers and proposed to them a blazing hell. That doesn't sound real politically correct. That doesn't sound like a religion of peace. Oh, Let's go further. Surah 4114. Unbelievers or infidels, are enemies of Allah, and they will roast in hell. Wow, that's not very nice. Next verse, fight the unbelievers who are near you, Surah 9, 123. Another translation reads, Believers, make war on the infidels who dwell around you. Let them find harshness in you. Another source reads, Ye who believe, murder those of the disbelievers. They're supposed to do this if they're being true to the Quran. That's the whole point. But again, none of this ever comes out in the mainstream media, ever. Because they're going to use Islam to create order out of chaos, and they're already doing that. That's why there's no way... People try to get me to side with the the Palestinians and this and that. And I remember, I've said I've tried to present a biblical... I'm not saying Israel's perfect. I'm not saying... um, uh, there's not such a thing as a Zionist conspiracy and that a lot of people at the highest levels of government are not Zionists. But there is no way you're going to get me to side with the Islamic people. There is, It's never going to happen. So please, don't even waste your breath. Because you don't have a leg to stand on. It is a death cult. Okay? So, going further... Okay, so continuing... Um... This article goes on to say, in a sense, Hassan's lecture was a cry for help. Can anyone show me another way out, is what he Saini said. Can anyone refute my interpretation of Islam? One Muslim in the audience reportedly tried to do it, but unless these issues are openly discussed and debated, rather than swept under the rug, more people will die. Well, the thing is, is the Quran's black and white. There's not really a whole lot of room for debate if you think about it. I mean, those verses that I just read, there's not a whole lot of room for debate there. And that's just a few verses. Okay? We could give you verse after verse after verse where it tells them to do this. So, you know, I don't see what debating it is really, you know, either you're either you're going to follow it or you're not. Going on further, it says, follow along with me and you'll understand everything. Hassan deals with three topics. Uh, one, what Islam teaches Muslims, two, how Muslims view the wars in Afghanistan and Iran, and how this might affect Muslims in the U.S. military. Uh, Hassan defines jihad, showing how silly are the claims that it only means a personal struggle to behave better. Jihad means to make holy war against the unbelievers, or the infidels, okay? And, in. He's saying he's he's confirming what I'm saying, this guy that killed 13 people at Fort Hood. He's confirming this. He's going to be in agreement with what I'm telling you. Okay? Why? Because he's he's being honest during this lecture. This is a Muslim that would concur with what I'm telling you. I'm telling you this because I can read this article and tell you I agree with what his assessment of the situation. I don't agree with his religion, but I agree with his assessment of the Islamic Muslim religion. Um, He defines jihad uh, showing how silly claims are that it only means a personal struggle to behave better. He also signifies it means the holy war. And, And in this article, he tells you exactly what slide in the PowerPoint presentation he does this. In this case, it was slide five. Now, here's Hassan's central theme. So, um now here's Hassan's central theme. Muslims cannot fight an infidel army against other Muslims. This is, would make sense. I mean, if you were true to the Islamic religion, how could you be in an infidel army and fight other Muslims? See, he was just getting ready to get shipped off to Afghanistan or Iran, I believe. So he had this big personal struggle. He had to make up his mind, because he didn't want to go there and fight against his his Islamic brethren, okay. so Hassan himself says that it's getting hard for Muslims in the U.S. military to justify doing so. In other words, def- fighting in an infidel army against other Muslims. Well, yeah, I mean, I would imagine that would be hard if they were being true to their false death cult religion, you know. Obviously, Hassan was deciding that he couldn't do so. I mean, they kind of put him in a position where they really made him make up his mind because they said, well, I guess we're going to ship you off and, and you're going to go have to kill your, your uh, Islamic buddies. And he's like, oh boy. And then he had to really, a crisis of faith, you know. Evidently he had an epiphany. And, um, you know, this is what happened. I'm not saying he wasn't a mind control slave that was triggered either. Okay, Project Monarch mind control, the whole thing that, that they've un, unraveled about the CIA. I'm not saying he wasn't one of them. Okay, so I'm not saying that that couldn't be the case, but the fact remains is he gave this presentation, he was a Muslim, and it's just unbelievable to me that they let this guy stay in the military. But then again, you know, whenever this type of stuff happens, it's order out of chaos, they always bring about some more erosion of our rights as a result of this. So let's go further. He quotes the Quran extensively to prove this point. And he goes on to say, Allah will punish anyone who kills a Muslim. That's on slide 12 of his PowerPoint presentation. Hassan then gives four examples of Muslim soldiers who broke under the strain. One who killed fellow American soldiers, which Hassan himself would do. One accused of espionage, but was acquitted. One who was deserted. And one who refused deployment in Iraq. This is all on slide 13. I mean, it sounds like he gave a very coherent slide presentation. Quoting the Quran, Hassan next provides a number of quotations to show that the believer must obey Allah. If they do, they will enjoy great delights, like the whole 72 virgins thing, although he left that out of the slideshow. And if they don't, if they don't obey Allah, they will suffer the torments of hell. How sickening. Finally, he gets into the heavy stuff. Hassan introduces the concept of defensive jihad, which is a core element in radical Islamist thinking. This is slides 37 through 39. Defensive jihad, it, it, which um, says, if others attack and oppress Muslims, then it is the duty of Muslims to fight them. September 11th was justified by its perpetrators by saying that the U.S. had attacked Muslims, and therefore it was mandatory to kill Americans in return. Okay, so this is just, you know, how they believe. And here is the crux of the matter. Verse 68, verse 60, ver, uh, chapter 60, verse 8, says, Allah forbids you from dealing kindly and justly with those who fight Muslims. That's on slide 40. If Nadal Hassan believed this, and would follow it. He must, to be a proper Muslim in, the, in his eyes, pick up a gun and join the jihad, Muslim side. He was not shooting Americans because he caught battle fatigue from the American soldiers he treated. Think about it. To have done so, Hassan would have to sympathize with them. Thinking about what it would be like for him if he'd been fighting Muslims in Iraq or Afghanistan, being ordered to ship out to one of these countries, which he was, Hassan now had decided... Had finally decided on, you know, to answer the question: Which side are you on? Would he choose to fight on the side of Allah and the Muslims, or to be rewarded in um, to be rewarded in heaven, or would he join with the infidels to be punished in hell and betray his religion? He made his decision. I, I, I mean, I hope we're making this crystal clear. What's going on here? Again, none of this is reported in the news. It's just totally suppressed. Why? Hassan tells us God expects full loyalty, promises in heaven, and he promises heaven and threatens hell. Muslims may seem moderate or compromising, but God is not. That's on slide 49. And at the very end, he proposes what might be his own escape route. On slide 50, he says, Recommendation. Department of Defense should allow Muslim soldiers the option of being released as conscientious objectors to increase troop morale and decrease adverse events. Amen. Number one, we shouldn't have any Muslims in the military. At all. None. Zero. This is what this man said on slide 50 that the DOD or Department of Defense should allow Muslim soldiers the option of being released as conscientious objectors. I agree. I totally agree with him. At least he was honest. What What does he say the result would be? Increased troop morale and decreased adverse events. Well, I would say what he did would be considered an adverse event, killing all these people. The fact that Hassan's lecture has not been the centerpiece of the whole post-massacre debate is a true example of how impoverished are the expert journalists and the politicians are at dealing with these issues. Of course, without exploring the Islamic factor, they're wasting everyone's time. And they are. This is just an absolute waste of time unless you get to the core of the issue, which they won't do, because it's not politically correct. Um, And in the process, they're also going to be wasting quite a few lives. So, yeah... (laughs) And I give you all the links to go to to explore this further. It's just its just unbelievable. Just absolutely unbelievable what's going on in today's day and age. And um, I'm going to go ahead and stop this study for today. I'm going to go ahead. I know I had mentioned before where I was going to put up a teaching on the Freemasons. I've already done part one. I think I'm going to do part two on that next. And then that way I can actually put up at least a couple parts. And uh, we'll go from there. God bless you.